Man, this was a fun interview with a young up and coming trainer who has put in a lot of work, man. And it's a perspective that I think will be beneficial to any basketball trainer who has a job, especially a teaching job or any kind of administrative job in higher education or any kind of pedagogy and also is a basketball trainer. So I've got a few in mind right now that would benefit from this episode and really be inspired by the grit that it takes to to do what you do, but also work towards transitioning to full-time basketball training. So hope you guys enjoy this interview with John Hansberry and uh, give me some feedback on this whenever you do listen to it and what stands out to you. Today's podcast is brought to you by The Playbook, the software that handles business so basketball trainers can handle basketball. As basketball trainers, we know what it's like to feel like we have all of our time booked with administration, texting people back, scheduling training sessions, and then some. The Playbook automates all of this for you so that you can be as efficient as possible. It's helped trainers double their income in just one quarter. It's helped trainers increase their revenue by 37% year over year. It's helped trainers save four hours per week just with the calendar feature. And it has a suite of other features like a CRM, a conversations tab that consolidates your messages so you don't have to chase IG, Facebook. Facebook, text, and email to see who messaged you and where they messaged you. It also automates your emails and text messages and all that communication. So yes, that includes group and mass text messages and has done for you funnels waiting for you to utilize them. Last but not least, you can redesign your website using one of our website templates built for basketball trainers. If you're interested in a free trial of the playbook for 30 days, be sure to sign up at www.basketballbusinessmarketing.com backslash the hyphen playbook. That's www.basketballbusinessmarketing.com backslash the hyphen playbook. Or you can just click the link in the description of this episode. Back to it. I spent the last three years learning from some of the best business minds inside the game of basketball. And now I've left my nine to five to create freedom and have fun while doing it. So the question is, how are hoopers and basketball fanatics like us using those same skills that gave us success on the court to give us success in our new sport of business? This podcast will give you the answer. Join me as I learn, apply, share knowledge, and change lives through the game that changed mine. My name is Myson Jones, and welcome to the Basketball to Business Podcast. John Hansberry, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing well. How are you? Good. This is my first 6 a.m. podcast interview, so I'm excited. Well worth it. Thanks for joining. Absolutely. Super excited, too. So let's jump right in, man. You, you're you from Portland, Oregon. You started hooping around third grade. Is that correct? That's correct. Absolutely. So who who did you watch? Like, Who were you watching to, to train yourself to try to get your game right at that time? Man, um, when I was in third grade or a little bit past that, um, my biggest inspiration was probably like the biggest point guards in the league then. So Allen Iverson, Steve Nash, um, those were the big guys that I'd watch. Um, as far as like coaches and people like that, uh, the number one big influence was this guy called Superhandles. Um, John Hildebrandt, he was uh, he was big on YouTube at the time. Uh, and 
maybe like seventh, eighth, ninth grade, that's who I really started watching and really just, you know, gravitated towards his content. So those are the people I watched really. Yo, I know exactly who you're talking about. This is the guy who was in his basement, has a nice gym in his basement. No, 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 he probably no. It's, didn't. Uh, it's not actually his basement. It was his, uh, it was the top part of his farm. So he grew up oh. in Oregon and I'm from Oregon. So we ended up connecting later, um, maybe two or three years ago. And I, I went and hooped in his barn a few times and stuff. And it's legit. It's super cool. It's in the middle of nowhere, but it's legit. <laughs> That's fire, man. You actually got a chance to connect with him. I've seen his ads. I don't know. I don't see his ads as much, but mm-hmm. I know like at first when he came up, I'll be honest, man. It seems like a real cool, genuine. And I know he's helped people because he, he can actually handle the rock really well. Yeah. And his ad pops up. He's like, hi, I'm whatever his name is. And yeah. I'm like, who is yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. Then I I'll actually watch more. Here yeah he's nice he's nice i love it i love it great guy great guy for sure so you you live in fort lauderdale like did you just visit home to link up with him or how did you actually connect with him yeah so i connected with him when i was in college so um just came back and uh, i wasn't i didn't have any you know social media following really or anything like that but um i actually had a aau teammate in high school who lived in the general vicinity of where he lived so I think we connected that way first. And then after that, um, we just continued to have a, you know, a relationship where I'd go to, go to the barn. They call it the barn. Um, and we'd play two on twos with all the different guys that he was training and stuff. And that was a, it was just a lot of fun. So that's kind of how we connected. That's fire, man. And last question about him and that, that relationship. What did he tell you? Did he give you any advice regarding to business? I'm sure he's had success with his online attempts in Absolutely. business. Yeah. So he's given me advice. He, his stuff is almost completely online at this point. So I'm still, you know, training a lot of people in person. That's my main revenue streams and everything. Um, but he was, you know, he was very big on click funnels. He was telling me all about that um, with his different programs, his 99 level program or 100 level program or whatever that he runs, which is, I mean, it's very comprehensive. Um, he told me all about how, you know, just networking is crucial, just being able to connect with, you know, the more, the more, you know, well-known people in your space and in your industry, the better. So that was, those are two pieces of advice that I really do remember uh, that he gave me. Got it. So oh, back, back to the childhood. So third grade, you start hooping, watching Superhandle, Steve Nash, AI. What was your experience growing up? Like, were you challenged like did you have to work 10 times as hard as everybody else to keep up what yeah, was your experience I mean, like that's a that's a great question so i would say i would say yes um for the most part i didn't really have um that much of you know like those athletic gifts that a lot of other people might have um i'm you know i wasn't blessed with the best genetics um for basketball uh right now i'm 510 you know so i grew up you know I was, I wasn't very big. I was pretty skinny too. So it was pretty tough to be able to compete. So I had to, you know, find ways to get better. And it was really all on me at that point. Cause I never had um, any trainer, you know, like us, I never had one of me to <laughs> work with me. I feel like I would have been a lot better if I would have had a trainer because I would have known what to work on. And training back then was a little bit different than how I train now, or actually night and day compared to how I train players now. Uh, but was still able to scrap it together and make it work. Um, so yeah, I'd say I'd say it was it was pretty difficult. How would you change your training style, knowing then what you know now? 
Uh, I would have worked on more things that were game situational and I would have played in more and more, um, you know, pick up small sided games, that sort of thing. I would have got guys together and then put us in situations um, that we'd be in a game. Um, I feel like I would have got way better that way. I played a lot of ones, um, but that was later on. So I would have probably started off doing that more. Um, and I would have probably done less um, like two ball drills. I did a lot of two ball drills that I don't know if that was the best use of my time. I could have, it would have been better if I would have had a workout partner going, uh, going one-on-one -on -one, playing against pressure, um, doing different things like that. That's kind of how I feel about it. But again, my training was the training of the day. What I'd saw on YouTube, I'd go try it. And back in 2010, it was, you know, a lot of, you know, dribbling through cones, which is not a bad thing, but that's what it was. Um, there was, you know, trying to see whatever Micah Lancaster was doing. And Micah's, you know, fantastic, very innovative. And it was, it was some stuff that might've been too tough for me at the time that I was trying to do. So yeah, it's just, you know, piecing things together and trying to figure out what would work. Uh, but I think that me playing in more game situations would have benefited me more down the road. That's interesting you say that, man. I, so you, you sound like you lean more towards the game enhancement side of things than just the, the skill development, or if I'm messing the terminology up, then let me know. Yeah, yeah. So for me and my training, I definitely do lean more towards the game enhancement, but that's not to say that any type of training is wrong. Um, I do skill enhancement as, too, as well um, at times during workouts and things, but I do lean more towards the game enhancement side. Um, but everybody, every player is different. Um, I think that there might be, you know, um, certain situations when skill enhancement is way better than game enhancement, certain people just depends on the player, depends on the situation. So um, that's kind of where I'm at with that. So back, back to, back to you yes. growing up. So you growing up and you get to play, you go to Bethel college in Kansas. What was that experience like? Yeah. So after graduated high school, went to Bethel. Um, it was a situation where I was at an NAI school. So at NAI schools, for people who don't know, they usually recruit a lot. They try to fill up their roster pretty heavy. So what they ended up having was my first year, it was, we would have, there was the varsity and JV team. So essentially my first year I was like essentially playing in between the two. So I would be playing JV and I'd be playing bar. I would be sitting on the bench for varsity. Um, and it was a, it was to the point where, uh, you know, it was, I was getting close to, you know, getting some minutes, that sort of thing, which is what I really wanted. And really basketball was, you know, my, my whole life. Um, so then I go into my second year and, uh, you know, really the, fact of the matter is I couldn't really play defense like that. <laughs> I was uh, strictly offense. I wasn't really, you know, very big or athletic and I didn't really have the dog in me to play defense every single possession. And as guys know, if you can't play defense, you can't really play. So my second year, um, it got to a point where I was, um, I was on the team. I was basically like the third point guard on the team. And I was like, you know, I could continue to do this you know, continue to play um, and really wasn't enjoying it, really wasn't in a good space mentally, just because I knew I was putting on all this work, 
I was doing other things. I didn't think that I was going to get minutes that year um, that I probably could if I would have waited two more years, but I don't know if I really loved that process. Like I, like a lot of other guys might've um, I wanted to play. And if I'm not playing, then I'm not happy, that sort of thing. Um, and that was not, not really the pure answer that people want to hear, but I really didn't. Um, and also around that time, I started training as well. And I knew that that was something that I could potentially succeed at and potentially get better at and potentially be, you know, really, really good at. So I decided to um, mid-season stop playing um, and dedicate my time to training and to my education and to getting done in three years. So that way I could move on and do what I needed to do um, rather than, you know, stay the extra years and continue to play basketball where um, I probably would have been playing a lot if I would have waited till my senior year, but wasn't really at that point that I really wanted to. So, yeah, that's kind of my career in a nutshell. Man, let's so let's let's talk about that. Yeah, because yeah. I got I've got trainees. I hear trainees sometimes where they because I struggle. I I, I won't be honest because I don't, I don't want to be uh, I don't want to lack empathy for anybody when it comes to mental health because I know that it can be a challenge and I know that some people have real things that they go through and mm-hmm. you know everybody's feelings are valid right? right at the same time when we play like you and I both know this is a sport that is tough a lot of sports are tough and it does require a certain strength in, in your mindset but for you it, it seems like it's more involved than just like I wasn't playing so I wasn't happy and I left like okay so you struggled mentally it seems like like maybe you were tied up in basketball like the identity your identity was tied up in basketball possibly but it was more than just that you had an opportunity cost of training and doing other things that ultimately helped you out in the long run so how would you advise somebody who is saying look I don't like basketball right now I had a bad coach uh didn't play very much and I'm thinking about quitting the, the game. Like, how do you get somebody to proxy that and have a certain framework to help them make a good decision? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So I'd say it comes down to, you know, self-awareness um, of your situation and of yourself. So for me, um, I knew that, like you said, with the opportunity cost of training uh, and, you know, the trade-offs that would come into to effect, um, I knew that. I could put my energy and time and resources into something else at that same level that I was putting it into the game. Um, I was putting work in, in the game all the time. I was, everyone can ask me, I was the gym rat. I was the guy who was always in the gym, always getting shots up, always trying to get better, always, you know, hitting people up to get in the gym, that sort of thing. So I knew that I, I, I could take this same energy and put it in other things. Now, if you are a player who's currently putting in, you know, a decent amount of effort into basketball um, and you, you love it, but you're, you don't like your coach, your coach doesn't like you, um, you know, that's really the big thing, or, you know, you, uh, you know, just aren't in the situation that you want to be in, and you feel like you don't have anything to go to outside of it, then I don't know if I would stop playing at that point. Um, I think you need to have an alternative route for something that you want to do um, that you can put your time and energy and effort and everything into. Um, I think that's a huge thing um, for somebody who's looking to stop playing basketball. That's a good point. I haven't heard it answered that way. Because, man, like you said, if you don't want to play defense, then you don't have much uh, room in this game. And I'm watching, like, I think I watched 
I watched Purdue play last night. I watched Clemson versus Duke. I'm watching more college basketball and I'm seeing like athleticism and health and being able to play hard every single possession is a mandatory. It's a must, especially defensively. Like these bigs, these bigs are like six, nine closing out like guards and like long wingspan and hedging the half court. And I'm like, dude, this is intense. And people just don't realize it. But for you, did you have any injuries or any uh, anything that sets you back during your playing days before you decided to uh, transition? Absolutely not. I didn't. I know that's a big thing for a lot of trainers. Um, I didn't knock on wood. I don't get injured anytime soon or anything. But um, as of no, I, n- I never had that. I never really had any injuries. It was more of the mental side. And it wasn't even that I didn't want to play defense. It was that I was in a position where, you know, you're, you know, the starting point guard, six, two, six, three, big, and, um, you know, five, 10, 150. And it's just very tough for me to be able to one body up with somebody, stay in front of somebody and do all that. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to, I really wanted to, and I wasn't the worst at it. My rotations weren't the worst. Uh, I was quick, but again, you know, when you're, when you're rotating against another guy who's, you know, six, 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 it's tough. You know what I mean? It's just very tough. Um, some guys can make it work. Um, and that's awesome. And, you know, there's some really good players who are five, nine, five, ten in the, in all levels of college basketball, but I just wasn't that guy. <laughs> okay. And, and just so I make sure my research is correct. So this is way beyond before college, you tried to dunk on a seven and a half foot goal, right? You jumped off the cooler, slipped, broke your arm and in college sprained ankles and and you had some hip flexor trouble right yeah how'd you hear about that <laughs> man come on dude <laughs> <laughs> my gosh yay we're gonna wake up at 6 a.m to talk like <laughs> yes sir uh, I've, had, I've had those but those weren't those aren't crazy those weren't crazy enough well and i asked about the hip flexor because i'm learning a little bit more about you know just the body in general. And I feel like that's the next evolution of, of training sessions is people is our, as trainers actually being able to guide and be physical therapists, but at least have a better understanding of the body and the anatomy and, and the Absolutely. biomechanics. So that's a pretty, pretty impactful, important area there, you know? So what are you, do you have any kind of like strains or like awkward movements with your hip flexors now didn't look like it when you played uh the other day i saw on your ig but i had that for you um not too much um i injured it for the first time playing soccer when i was in seventh grade um i played soccer throughout high school soccer was one of my one of i was my first love really but i i injured it playing soccer i felt Got it. Oh, and sorry, did you uh, did you cut out or were you finished speaking? Adrenaline or anything can't get past at this point. Got it. So say say one more time. I think we cut out after you injured it in seventh grade playing soccer. Sorry. So, yeah. So injured it playing soccer in seventh grade um, and I went to physical therapy. And then after physical therapy, they, they told me that it probably wouldn't be exactly the same as it once was. And I didn't really believe them, but uh, I'd say it's about 95% better as, you know, back to what it was before the injury. Um, 
you know, I, I feel it after certain sessions or if I play really hard or like I just ran a half marathon, I definitely felt it after half marathon. But other than that, it's like, you know, it's, wow. it's pretty yeah, and, and I see me being ignorant, like I didn't know you can really, you can't really stretch your hip flexor and stretching it sometimes if you can is bad. Like, do you do anything to strengthen it? Do you have any exercises that you've studied or is it just fight through it? Yeah, a few different, a few different stretches that I'd use, um, the physical therapist gave me, but other than that, I was just pretty much battling through it. Got it. Okay. So now going right into business, like hardcore business questions so you have a full-time job correct sure. mm -hmm. what is that what is that yeah i'm a teacher middle school business collective teacher oh business elective that sounds fun yeah it's cool i do uh personal finance entrepreneurship um then i'm thrown into speech and debate and critical thinking as well so i teach four different classes well six different classes four Dude, different classes. that's fire that that's even like in the curriculum like, <laughs> I, you know, I wish I would have had it at that age too. <laughs> right, right. When did you graduate? When did you graduate college? What year was that? Twenty twenty. Twenty twenty. Okay, man. So you're you're what? How old? Twenty three. Twenty three. Super young. So, what is the desire? Like, it sounds like you enjoy your full time job, especially with those classes that you just mentioned right there. I'm assuming you were a uh, educational major, education major in school. Yeah, or no, major. I was a business major. Bus Business major. Okay. How did you find yourself deciding to teach? Did you have like training in mind? So you had like extra time after school? Yeah, absolutely. So when I graduated college, uh, 2020, it was COVID. So at that point, um, I was kind of in a scramble. I wasn't going to move home. I knew I wasn't going to be in Kansas. So I was like, I need to find something to do. So I ended up like working at Little Caesars, whatever I could do to, you know, while I was waiting to graduate, because it's like, you know, March to June, they kicked us out residence halls, they did all that. So it was like, you know, had to figure something out. Uh, so then I ended up applying to a job at my college, I worked in the admissions office a little bit, ended up getting a job there three quarters time. Um, and then from there, so this was back when I was in Kansas, um, I had a gym available. So I was able to once July hit, I started training again, July 2020. Um, and started training, uh, doing, you know, things there, it was in a small town, obviously. So uh, my clientele could never get to a certain level where I wanted it to be. Um, I think I had about maybe like 20 kids, probably regularly at that point. But I was working my job at admissions. I was doing that. And I was like, you know, I need to get to a new area. I need to get somewhere where there's more people, where there's more opportunities, everything like that. So I was like looking around and I was like, well, I can't. I, I'm, a, I'm very, you know, conservative with my money, I guess you could say. And I want to make sure I have a solid income. Um, because, uh, you know, you gotta be smart with that sort of thing, I think. So I was like, I'm not just going to go down here and bet on myself to be a trainer. Cause I don't know anybody in South Florida at all. So I was like, okay, I need to do something else. So I was like, I'll become a teacher. So I went and researched, um, different like teacher programs. And I was like, well, there's teacher certification programs that you can do with your degree in Texas and Florida. Those were the two places I was looking. Essentially I flipped a coin and I said, you know what, I'm going to go to Florida. So ended up uh, doing all the, you know, prerequisite little classes that I had to do like online, like Canvas type stuff, um, ended up taking a couple tests, um, acing those, and then being able to apply for a job. I applied to one job down here, got it. And then I said, you know what, I'm moving to, I'm moving to Florida. 
So from there, I was a teacher and I've been a teacher for just over one year. That's crazy. That sounds like it, uh, so much work, but it sounds like it happened very quickly. How do you, how do you balance teaching with training? Man, I don't know if I do. <laughs> um, essentially, um, you know, it's, it's a grind, man. I work a lot of hours. Um, some days I have sessions before school. Um, then after that, I'll go to school and we work, we work long. I work at a charter school. They work us at long hours, man. We get there at seven fifteen. We end up leaving at like three thirty. Um, so then from there, I'll have usually two to three group sessions after school um, at different parks in the area. And then from there, um, I might have an individual or something after that. And then you're back at back at home. And I, I edit content all day. <laughs> I edit content in my planning at school. Don't tell my administration. Um, I edit content after I get back from my sessions. Um, I'm always doing that sort of thing. And then, you know, at different times during the day, I'll have to answer emails. Obviously, I have to talk to all my clients. So I'm always texting them. So it's, it's a grind, man. It's hard to say I balance it because I spend so much time doing both. Um, but it's, it's just a lot. <laughs> and is your goal to eventually train full time? Absolutely. Yeah, that is my goal. How do you, so man, we can go a lot of different directions here. You spend a lot of time editing. I, I, I know editing for TikTok, is really the same for editing for IG. Once you get it, you can post. So it's little little efficiency there. But what makes you go so hard on social? Yeah, really um, impact, um, providing value. Um, I remember in 2019, um, I did a few sessions helping out uh, Peter, da Peter Danilov uh, from 9010 Training. Um, he was in kind of the same area. Yes, Kansas. Uh, a little bit more north, um, but I ended up connecting with him, and I didn't have any social media following really at the time. And uh, he always told me he was like, "You need to." I was at the time I was posting content of just workouts, just posting like highlights of guys and stuff like that. Um, and what really wasn't providing any value. And he always told me he's like, "You need to provide value. You need to do tutorials. You need to do all these things." And obviously, Peter's got it. Like he's. He is like a genius when it comes to content and things like that. And that was one of the pieces of advice that he gave me. So I just want to be able to leave an impact with my brand and with my name um, by helping people um, with the game of basketball, um, doing different tutorials and things like that. And ultimately, I think that it'll pay off in the long run as far as, you know, monetizing things, um, having impact and that sort of thing. So, I mean, because I talked to, I'm not sure if you heard the Shane Hinnon interview, but very eye-opening, enlightening. Sir, he, did. Oh he, he, man, he dropped some knowledge for real. Uh, so have you tried to monetize with any of your videos on IG or no? Yeah, so I've, I've talked, I talked to him right after I heard it. I, I hit him up and I was like, yeah, like, because he, he told me about it not too long ago before that. And then I heard it on the um interview and he you know it, it's just it's just crazy but the thing is is that they are going they're rolling it out and they haven't sent me the notification for the bonuses or anything like that on instagram so i'm kind of at a point where 
Um, I'm not getting monetized by ads. So they don't have ads on my video or anything at this point. I don't know who, I haven't really seen too many ads on my videos or any videos in general. I don't know if that's one reason or another, but um, I haven't been put into that bonus program, which it's okay. Maybe I'm, my page isn't big. I don't know. I don't know how they, you know, figure that out, but soon enough, hopefully I'm in a part, I'm a part of that, but we'll see. So. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. You say that though, because it's not always like, you know, he, he, he says that, which is his experience, but then on your side, like, Hey, I'm still, still here waiting to see this be rolled out. So right. I'm glad there, I mean, I hate that you're not getting paid, but also it's interesting to hear that people have different experiences with the, the rollout that Instagram has. Right, right, right. Do you know any other trainers who have been in a part of bonuses? I don't, I don't, honestly. Actually, you know, I, I know one guy, uh, I know one guy who's, who's testing it right now and got a little bit of money, but obviously Shane's on a, on a, on a another level with his content production. So uh, not many are experiencing the payouts that he's. Man, I hope I hope it comes soon, man. I hope I really hope they're still doing it, and I, <laughs> I need that. That'd be awesome. Let me ask you this: I, I had a question. Uh, I think R two comment. A lot of people commented on it. Honestly, just asking about the the impact of social. So you, it's hard to quantify. Like the kid from you know, back in Oregon, probably who's watching your videos right now and getting better from them. But how does that? play in the business perspective like do you see that benefit your local basketball training as much mm, absolutely yeah so one tactic that i do that i think a lot of trainers should do um, is on my story whenever i train somebody um, i have my phone out and i will when they're when we're doing semi-stationary drills or when we're doing uh different progressions um, sometimes i'll pull out my phone and i'll film it and then from there, I go home at night and I take, you know, 10, 20 minutes. I put all the clips in the splice and I edit them all up and I clip them up and I make like 15 second little like highlight videos for each player. And then from there, I will tag them. So if it's, you know, a high school guy, then all their high school friends, everybody sees it when they put it on their story. Um, and then from there, like I've had people DM me all the time. Like I probably get, you know, I don't want to say one DM a day, but a decent amount, you know, per week, three, four, five DMs a week, probably, hey, can we work out? Can we do this? Can we do that? And then that generates a lot of business. So um, I would say that is one tactic. And then overall social, um, you know, not for really in-person clients, but when I decide to create a program, another program or something, that's a way that I can definitely monetize. So um, that sort of thing is, yeah, I think, I think that there's a big tie and it, it, social media really does help me. What is the, so your hours and you're working from 7.15 already to, to 3.30 for school, yeah. right? And then you have some sessions in the morning, then you have some sessions in the evening. What's, what's, how many hours are you working? Like what's your schedule from wake up to sleep usually on a daily basis? Yeah. So wake up. Uh, if I have a session, if I don't, then oh, I'll wake up about six. I'll wake up if I have a session, 530. If I'm not, I'll wake up about six. Um, from there, I'll wake up. I need to make sure I have my content available for the day. I answer any DMs that I have, um, you know, DMs, emails, those sorts of things. Then post that. Um, I'll go to work. Um, at work, I have planning in the morning. So 
I'll take that planning time and I'll do whatever I have to do for school. Um, but also, you know, uh, right now, my big project is warehouse space. Um, I've been looking for warehouse space. I'm in the application process right now with the warehouse. So I'm super excited about that. Hopefully, you know, it all works out and comes through because that's crucial for me right now <laughs> um, in, the, in Florida. But there's that. Um, then after planning, I'll go teach my classes. I have three straight classes. Um, I have a, a little lunch, 20 minute lunch in between. I answer any DMs after that. But in my planning time in the morning, I'll also send out messages to people about sessions and, you know, make sure I have my stories updated, all that stuff. I'll post at 10 a.m. I always post at 10 a.m. or right around 10 a.m., 9.30 um, Eastern time. Then after that, um, after school, I'll end up leaving and driving right to do a couple of group sessions, two or three group sessions, then maybe an individual after that. Usually I change locations in between. Uh, then after that, I go home and I eat. Um, and as I eat, um, I'll usually be editing the content that I film from that day of all my clients. Uh, then after that, you know, answer any DMs. I sometimes make a post later at night, try to do one to two a day and then post that. Um, yeah, I'm just, you know, getting ready for the next day. So it's, it's not ideal, um, but it's, you know, essentially six to six to eight, six to nine every day. And I just want people to hear that, like, well, I want to train, like, it looks easy, man. You just come up, you show up and you just go to the gym or go to the park and you just teach yeah, kids right. how to hoop. Like, right. come on, man. So That's what, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, you're good. Continue. Well, and I want to be respectful of your time too, man. What is one thing that you would like to talk about, or I guess that's a question that you are passionate about, a topic you're passionate about that you heard on the podcast or that you that we probably haven't talked about yet? Hmm, let me think. Oh my goodness. Oh, I, I really enjoyed your um, your talk with Ryan Rizugi all about that. Um, really right now, like I said, my big project is the warehouse space. So I don't know if you have a facility or if you're looking to get a facility or what your situation is with that. Um, but yeah, just if, you know, you have any insights on that sort of area. <laughs> Let, let's, let's talk about that, man, because I, I, I don't, but there are plenty of guys who have their own space. I've talked to so many, uh, that have their own space and it looks lovely. Like I, I can't knock it at all and yeah, it's the dream for all trainers right i right. even there's plenty of spaces i have a realtor who's looking for me right now and honestly man i am actually opposed to uh, a space except for shane like shane's space yeah. man like the the cost and how minimal yeah, it cost, was yeah. <laughs> dude like it makes sense to do that it but i think that, yeah. right like you saw the video it went viral like he sent it to me a while back then it's on espn and blew up right yeah, i'm gonna it, the space i'm looking at right now is legit Four it's about the same amount of space. It's it's four times the amount. There you go. Bingo. And that's the piece that's the piece four that times. people don't talk about, man. Like yeah. that can you imagine trying to like meet that overhead every single month? So I, I'm of the I'm of the mindset right now, man. Like I don't think people really there's only one or two people that I know that really like get into detail about what the real cost is for something like that. Uh, especially if it's on the negative side, like Shane, yep. He, he shared what he shared, which is really, really helpful. But some people are on the opposite end of that spectrum where they see that the square footage price is like $15, $20 and you have to still build it out. And whether you have, some people have people to invest that capital, 
others take on the debt. And I don't think everybody wants to share those things because yeah, it's, it's really personal and private information. So honestly, man, I'm curious to see how you keep going with it and you know what you decide to do. But I'm a fan, honestly, of finding and getting a lease with the, the current gym or just renting the facility because you can right size your hours to minimize the time based on your clients or expand the time that you're renting based on the seasonality. So you can change your rental costs and it's a variable cost versus the actual fixed cost. So it's a, it's a contrarian thought right now because I know people want their own gyms, but man, I, I just like the idea of lower expenses. Like you and I are on the same page. We're, we're frugal, right? Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think for me in this situation that I'm in currently, I think that the opportunity cost is too much in, in the, on the other side. So yes, I'm going to continue to teach and I'm going to continue to do that. But I still think even though it's going to be, you know, for 4,300 a month after taxes and everything, um, you know, I think that that's going to be worth it for me in the long run, uh, just for what I'm looking to do and what I'm trying to do and how I think I can continue to grow. So I, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna try to, you know, get this space. If it doesn't work out, and then I'll try to find another one. But regardless, I think that with what I do, especially being in South Florida, right now I have no overhead because right now I train outside, um, which is tough because sometimes, you know, in South Florida, if you know the weather, it rains a lot. Um, mm. it rains, you know. Well, right now it's not the worst, but during the summer it's like every day type of thing where it'll rain for a little bit and then be dry again. So it's it, that cancels sessions, makes me lose money. Right now, I'm not on any membership-based system because of the rain. So, you know, getting into a gym would eliminate me having to rain out. It'll allow me a space to create content. I feel like my content will be way more professional if I'm in the gym <laughs> than outside. You know what I mean? That's something that I've had to battle with, I think, um, more and more. Um, so I think that just the opportunity cost is way more in my favor here if i if i don't I, I need to do it that's my mindset as of right now so it's it's interesting <laughs> well 4300 I, I would agree too man especially after tax now i don't know if that includes like the triple net fees and like the cams and all that extra stuff that a landlord would want to throw on to you right. uh but honestly man so you you do train in gyms right like i've seen content with it's like course. somebody records yeah. your videos so what gyms are those and when do you have access to them yeah. So for the most part with the content that I make, um, I train different AAU teams and people and different groups like that. Um, so those are usually wherever the coach is at, I'll be able to get in. So um, I've had, you know, decent amount of time working with different high, uh, different high schools uh, at different places like that, but it's, it's nothing consistent, nothing, especially in my area. A lot of the gyms are that I have <laughs> that I will, you know, make deals with or have access to are a little bit further away than where I'm at um, in Broward. So it's really, you know, it's, it's very tough to find anything that's affordable too. just by the hour. Everything is, you know, 75 to hundred dollars per hour, which I, I think is a little bit crazy, <laughs> you know, for, for a court or for a half court. So yeah, I have, I do training gyms when possible, but that's not a consistent thing. Yeah, that's a good point, man. Like, would you rather like, would you rather training outside where it's up in the air if you can actually have the session 
or right. go somewhere where really most of your your margin is taken away by the gym cost and you right. really want to make sure that you maximize the space right especially exactly. if it's 75 or 100 for half courts like geez man no. um but what are, you, what are you charging per session yeah so right now i charge i think on the low end for for most trainers out here especially um, i charge for groups i charge 25 and for individual i charge anywhere between 45 and 55 so i'm still on the low end i think <laughs> Absolutely, man, which is a competitive advantage. And for sure, like with, with your brand, I know you can charge more if you wanted to, but also you want to have that consistency in the space and have that, that professional look. So I can understand what may lead to that lower price. Right, right. But once, once we're in the gym, it'll be definitely, um, prices will go up. <laughs> but I, and I, what do you average in terms of like a, a trainee, uh, trainees, the capacity of those training sessions? Oh, anywhere between, you know, three and eight, probably every session. There's Got it. Three more, you know, usually, usually five, four, five, six. It's usually what I have per group session. Got it. I would be interested in you having like one day that you're just, just saying, you know what, I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm going to go for this $100, $200 court rental. It's going to cut like a lot. A margin i gotta get eight kids to break even but what if you had like a like a skills clinic a weekly clinic every one time a week like on a saturday or whatever and you just had 15 20 kids in the gym every single time you know yeah, and I can do. yeah just just curious but i i support the search of the gym too man i, I just i'm against it because of the space we have here define industrial space like shane did it's yeah. tough and the square footage cost is like $12 a square foot. So you're looking at a pretty hefty price at the end of the day. Yeah. But yeah, more I power to I think mine is, uh, it's right around 20 that I'm looking at. <laughs> so I'm looking at, a, like, I'm looking at a space like, like his, but 40, 4,300. Right. And he was at, what was his at? He, he said it. But his I was like 1,300 or something. Yeah, man. So that's tough. Like that, which is tough. <laughs> but you're in a good you're in a good area though man like the social economic status of the area you're in is pretty oh, solid it's remarkable man i mean how many people are out here i never lived in a big city like this or in a big metropolitan area but this is i mean there's there's millions of people <laughs> there's so much literally and i have a i have a hold on it um you know i feel i'm not i'm not saying that i'm you know by any means the guy down here there's a lot of other trainers down here who are great and fantastic but I feel like in my specific area in Broward County, there aren't very many guys and there aren't really any facilities, um, especially in the, in the Western side of Broward. So I think that this is an opportunity, like a huge opportunity. So <laughs> hopefully you, uh, you can close on that, man. And, and I know, have you looking at what, have you had a realtor or has it just been you? Yeah, I've been looking with realtors. I've had multiple looking, we've been looking gotcha. since November. So it's been months. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, hey, man, I want to be respectful of your time. We got to do this again, honestly. Um, is there any advice you would have for any trainers coming up uh, or anyone who wants to just grow their social media game and just gets discouraged by the effort it takes? Any kind of advice to, to basketball trainers out there? Yeah, I mean, really just, you know, continue to continue to push, continue to, you know, post even when you get no 
um, you, you don't see any results from it. Um, really just put out, you know, the best content that you potentially can. Um, keep continuing to provide value to players and people will watch. Um, it takes a while. I mean, you know, I have had a decent amount of success on social media and it's not like it's an overnight thing. Like I started posting content in 2018 and didn't get anywhere. I don't, I think I crossed 10,000 followers in like August, 2020. So I was posting multiple times. I mean, I wouldn't say it most times a day, but I was posting pretty much every day for years and didn't gain any traction. So, you know, two and a half years straight posting and then finally started to break through a little bit. So it's like, you know, don't get discouraged. Um, there's plenty of opportunities that will be afforded to you through social media. I've been able to travel a lot of different places, doing clinics, um, meeting a lot of fantastic people, training a lot of people, creating an impact just through being a, having that social media following. So uh, I would say continue to push, continue to provide value. Um, and yeah, do your thing. What's, What's your name? social media handle? At JQ Basketball Training. Got it. Hey, JQ, appreciate your time, man. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Yo, hope that podcast gave you some value. If it did, please rate, review, and subscribe to this. It only makes the podcast better. I read every single one. And at the very least, go join our group. You'll see the link in the description of this episode, and I will catch you on the next one.